Hello, my name is David Turner and this is the Lunar Poetry Podcast and today I'm in Kentish Town in North London and I'm joined by the founder and editor of Proletarian Poetry, Peter Renner. Hello, Hello. Peter. Hello, Hello David. Hi. Um, so the main reason we've got together with the microphone today is to talk about the blog in particular, so maybe we should start, if you just give a few details about when you started the blog and why. Yeah, um, I started 18 months ago, um, quite naively really. I'd been... Um, interested in portrayals of the working classes more generally and quite despairing of the way in which they've been portrayed uh, particularly in fiction but also um, in novels but also in plays and um, films whereby the working class person was either involved in a horror story of either beating up their children or um, abusing themselves with drugs or criminality or you had those who just had to escape it through education or um, ballet dancing, yeah. and uh, and it was always there was never a sort of like everyday experience where it just they were working class people, and it didn't matter that they were working class people. It's the same across in terms of race and gender, where you know you know the Bechdel test with uh, with gender and. And so I was going to do a PhD and got accepted, but then someone said, I'll do a creative writing course, did that. Uh, and then I met Malika Booker, who um, got me into poetry um, and introduced me to a lot of poets. And I thought, oh, actually, that resonates with me. So I decided to do proletarian poetry as a way of researching what working class poetry was out there. I knew that it was, but I, and I knew there were certain homes for it. Um, but I thought, well, let's see where I go. And it's been, you know, from my perspective, it's been quite amazing because no poets said no, <laughs> you know, and you can just, you know, the classic cliche of you don't ask, you don't get. Yeah. So you ask people like Liz Lockhead or uh, John Burnside. I met Ian Dewey at a conference and I said, oh, I'd like to, you to uh, appear on the site. And next next day he'd emailed me six you know mm. so kind of very generous all the poets have been actually I was going to we'll probably get on to talking about what it means to be working class and, and those issues in a minute but yeah. have you approached any poets that have been surprised that you would class them or think, feel that they fit no, it's, a, uh, it's a very good point actually because um, I've, I've approached people and said oh I like your poem and they've said oh I'm not working class yeah and I make the joke, well, you know, it's about the poem, because if it was about the work of the poets, how do I then define it? Do I say, okay, did you play bingo in a previous life, and did you leave your kids in the car <laughs> while you were getting pissed in the pub? And um, and so, it, to my mind, that's a that's a minefield I don't want to go down, yeah. and it's not. And I'm trying to be, you know, I I have many sympathies with the not with the idea of class war. Uh, I don't want, I didn't want to bring it into. Um, proletarian poetry because I wanted it to be more positive and more inclusive. Well, it does, it, yeah, I was going to say there's a definite air of inclusivity around your blog rather than excluding. You, you do. Yeah. It does seem that you're trying to highlight the working class nature in work rather than exclude writers for whatever. Yeah, whatever stereotypical it, means. It just wouldn't come across well either. Yeah. Whether you could do it or not, you just. And I, I don't even think it's needed because I don't think it denies those of a true impoverished or discriminated background 
uh, from being involved in the site mm. and um, and so yeah it's very much about the poetry as opposed to who the poets are um, so loosely how would you define uh, a working class or a working class piece of poetry um, what, what criteria do you use I use it very simply and I think academics would probably roll their eyes at this but I, I, uh, I define it as those who lack power and or those who lack wealth uh, and poets fit into that category very well actually um, and then within that I although I include poet poems that are are the horror stories and the fairy tales because they are you know true to working class life I also try and seek out those that are about you know like Deborah Stevenson wrote a poem about going to the seaside with her parents and people have written about their grandparents and it hasn't been overt that their grandparents were working class um, but that came through yeah. um, so it's trying to be that mix of things yeah I think um, when I started the podcast I did feel like I wanted there to be I don't know whether I wanted to give an identity to the podcast overtly which is probably why I didn't go down that route but I wanted it to perhaps be more specifically about working class writers I didn't know how to work because I wasn't really sure what the podcast should be when I started it and stuff mm. but it something resonated that you just said about those without voice and stuff I mean a podcast exists for those that don't have a platform to yeah. talk normally um, and I think just working on along those lines probably you would just end up with more working class writers won't you because if you if you're looking for marginalized people or people yeah. without a platform ultimately the, the majority of those people will be from that sector or and you self ghettoize it people yeah. will say oh that's not for me and you'll have that you'll have that divide that you have in all types of things but also mm. uh, certainly in poetry with the perception that it comes from a certain demographic yeah and um, yeah so we were just before the microphone went on we were talking about um, genres of poetry yeah. and stuff and you were, we were just chatting about whether there is a need for more I suppose you can it's an interesting idea in that you can divide poetry into more subjects without making it less can you in fact yeah. by dividing it up and showing the, the breadth of something you're making it into a lot you know larger meaning so uh, I think it yeah as, as I said I think it relates to accepting the that the reader isn't a yeah. single person yeah uh, and that the reader is a diversity of people but also that reader would be interested in different types of poetry and so that one night they may want to go to yeah, yeah. bang said the gun laugh their head off or get angry or get motivated to, to be activists in whatever way the poetry is coming at them while at the same time they want may want to sit quietly and read sonnets and different mm. and then within that the, I don't, I'm not saying I don't think I'm necessarily advocating strict lines on genres, but there's it's more of a kind of acceptance of it in the sense that you know, there's a lot of poetry, as you said before, about mental health. Mm. Um, there's science fiction poetry. There's poetry about comics. Yeah. You know, uh, I'm not sure to the extent there's crime poetry, but maybe they should. Yeah. Um, and so, if you're able to do that, then it become again it becomes more inclusive. Yeah, I think also another problem with the way that poetry is marketed in shops it assumes a lot of knowledge on the, on the buyer that you know who these people are yeah. and you know what kind of poetry they're writing yes. and what the genre 
yeah, a lot of assumptions are made that you should know exactly what you're after before you go in, and it's not, it puts up a barrier. It's like you were saying, uh, talking about your, uh, on the previous podcast you did the Poetry Library, we talking about your local water stores and how many cookery books they've got. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's, a cookery section in a bookshop is far more welcoming, even if you've never cooked before, than a poetry section. Is, you, you can know. guide your way. Yeah, well, you it's quite to... clear what what the books are about, you know. And, mm. yeah. Well, you go to a poetry, you know, that one column if you're lucky, and it's anthologies at the top, and then it's all the alphabetical, you know, so... so uh, 14 copies of yeah, the same... Yeah, so Yates Caroline, and Jack Underwood are down, bottom of the corner, yeah. and they must be really... <laughs> Jack Underwood must be really pissed off about it. Uh, but if you're, uh, you know, Simon Armitage, you know, maybe not so <laughs> so worried. Yeah. Um, going back to your blog, how does it work? Are you mainly commissioning people to come onto the blog, or do you accept submissions? Um, mainly I've gone out to people, and as it's grown... Pe- more people have come to me which makes me deeply uncomfortable because I'm not um, if you're an editor of a magazine and you get oh, hundreds and hundreds of uh, submissions it's quite easy to say no to three or four hundred people but when someone says I really like your blog and here's my poems would you consider them which I do I find it very hard to, um, to, to say no in fact I don't I think I said I've said no once and that was someone who wrote a haiku, and I simply couldn't bounce off it. Yes. You know, um, and that's the other thing with the um, the the blog is that I will receive poems that are very good, but if I don't feel I can write a response to it, um, or I've written a response about it before, like I'd, you know, please don't send me any 1984 minor strike poems, by the way. <laughs> um, you know, because there's so many angles yeah, yeah. that you can write about in that regard. So it's not necessarily, <coughs> excuse me, the quality of the poems that may yeah. be. Because you're not just, you're not just printing poems on your website. No, are you? no, you're, yeah, I should make that clear. No, I, I purposely from the beginning, have, um, I have a two paragraphs where I write a commentary. It'll either be a kind of memoir, uh, anecdote, or some kind of fact that I found out related to the, uh, related to the poem loosely, mm. and uh, and then I integrate the poem into a more a commentary more directly related to it so um, like for, for example I, uh, I published a poem by Claire Pollard on China and uh, she'd gone there 2005 and she was she in her travels had seen the beginnings of the the emergence of a dual economy of communism being funded by capitalism yeah. And I found that fascinating, and it's such at the fore now. Mm. And I found this picture of uh, uh, Colonel Sanders standing next to Chairman Mao, and I thought it was beautiful. He was, he was, he's been there, so even Mao was on the case. And and I and so I, I you know I could work from there, and that's what I try and do uh, in the poems that I'm, I'm, I'm given or I, I approach people to. Yeah. As it's a blog, I was going to just talk about the internet in general, and there was a, I suppose. There was this, uh, a hope that the internet in, and the access uh, globally would somehow break down the barriers mm. that were put in front of, we just talk about working class writers yeah. for, for the moment, by removing the need to be published in the normal way. And, yeah. you know, um, is your blog a sign that that hasn't happened? Do you feel like you're still having to work to champion this kind of writing because it's not getting an outlet elsewhere 
I don't, I don't see it that way. Um, I think there's an, it might sound like a bit of off-centre comparison, but do you remember when Sky Sports came? Mm. Sky Sports came and everyone said this is going to be the death of football. Now, I'm no, no supporter of Murdoch and Sky or that, but I do watch Sky Sports, yeah. hands up. But it actually increased attendances because people saw the glamour of it and yeah. they saw the fascination of it and they wanted to be part of it. What I see with uh, the internet in terms of publishing is that you, pub you can e it's much easier to get published, but it also enables you or gives you permission to say, oh, actually, I want to submit to these other places. And I see it more as a stepping stone, not necessarily to greater things, but sort of a kind of an amalgam of different avenues to which you can get published. Mm. I think that's there's an interesting point there in the sense that the rush to um, be um, published in print is quite ironic in the sense that I, there's, a, uh, there's a magazine, I won't mention it, who uh, I know get hundreds of submissions and they'll publish 50 poems a quarter. They have 49 subscribers. So, and it's not on the internet. Yeah. So basically all these hundreds and hundreds of people are looking to get published so 49 people can read it and you know so you 49 people can own the magazine they're published in whether they get read or not yeah well <laughs> obviously the contributors will get it as well yeah so it'll be say 100 yes, people yeah, yeah, yeah. you know whereas on a website you know you're going to get hundreds and thousands yeah, 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 of people yeah. you know i write a poem for um calm campaign against living miserably yeah. about suicide and that got 1500 views or likes on yes, Facebook yeah, yeah. And, and, and then um, a woman emailed me and said oh could I read have that poem read at my son's funeral he commit suicide yeah. a few weeks before now if you only go down that route of hard copy publishing that wouldn't happen no because that readership of car magazine will not be subscribing to Rialto or things some may you know um, but it's about access and I, so I think it's about just you know uh, wildfiring yeah. in a way, submitting as many places as you can. I think I like um, I like following blogs like yours in that you can be much more reactive as well, can't you? Because there's a much faster turnaround. You know, if something happens, you can and you've got something that relates to it, or you know someone could come up with something. Yeah, you can publish immediately, can't you? You don't have to wait until. There is that, yeah. I, I and some are far more responsive than I am. I, yeah, I got a I got a um, a poem. There was about uh, the Corbyn anti-Semitism and that, and because I had these people lined up, yeah. I couldn't publish it, right? Because and, and therefore I said it's, I can't be that responsive. I'm afraid yes, yeah, so yeah. it does have its limitations. Yeah, but yeah. if you were just yeah, if I was just putting them out there, you, you, you could get that. Um, but I feel the reason I do, uh, besides the ego of writing the bits myself, is that I, I feel there's plenty of places now where you could just get your poem, if it's good, yeah. uh, to be on, on a site. Yeah. Yeah. Like there's, a, there's a one blog, and other poems, done by Josephine Corcoran. Mm. She publishes poems Tuesday and Friday. She has 4,500 followers. Yeah. You know, you get published on there, you're going to get read more than any other print magazine. Yeah. And, um, and so it's, I guess it's how you value it, value it, really, and how much you want to um, uh, be read. Uh, in terms of, because you mentioned uh, politics briefly there, um, luckily enough in London, 
just got rid of, gotten rid of one. Does the, the, the current Tory government made your job easier yeah. in terms of finding work, finding poems that you like? Um, uh, yes and no. Yeah. Um, yes, because lo lots of people it does it does tend to you know ignite a lot more response and. Um, but that was quite well harnessed by uh, New Boots and Pantisocracies, yeah. uh, where they did over 100 poems, and it's going to come out uh, as a book later on in the year by Smokestack. Um, so there is that, but it's funny, I was just reading a book about um, the Depression in the 1930s, and how the critics were so um, influential during that time, they pressured the likes of Robert Frosty Cummings, start writing politically aware mm. poems and getting out of this modernist type of approach and it made me think about the critics here and how how there was no there's such a lack of power but at the same time I think the power is more in the poets hands now to go in those directions and those avenues whether it's through the internet or not uh, to be responsive to the, uh, the climate that we're in at the moment yeah likely to be in for a while yeah Let's not dwell on that too much. <laughs> this is such a nice sunny day. So tonight, the reason we're meeting in Kentish Town today is because you're, uh, you've got a spoken word evening coming up tonight at Torriano Meeting yeah. House, and you've got two featured readers. Uh, Anna Robinson yeah. and Tim Wells. Anna's been writing about uh, London for many years. She was one of the first poets that Malika Booker introduced me to. She wrote these um, poems in a sequence called Finders of London of the uh, the prostitutes who were killed, whether it was by Jack the Ripper or not, and she gave them a real human side to them uh, that wasn't misogynistic and voyeuristic. And uh, and then Tim Wells, who I'm sure listeners know a lot about, who says he's he's made out of uh, lager, reggae and Latin Orient, and, <laughs> and is one of the great uh, proselytizers, I think, of um, political ranting poetry and has been doing it for... 30, 40 years now. Uh, these live events, are they, is it something you'd like to do more of, or is it just something you I'd like to, along? but whether my body allows me to. Yeah, um, I, um, yeah I've, done, I've done three now. I did one at the Poetry Library, one at the Poetry Cafe, and tonight's. Yeah. I probably won't do one now till um, uh, in the autumn. But it does raise the question of um, paying poets. Yeah. I think it's important because um, with the special editions, um, there was a there was a fund for it, so I was able to pay the poets then. And then on the door at the poetry library, um, the, the, the money would go to them as well. Tonight's is not. Yeah. Hence, I have uh, two uh, two packets of uh, twelve-inch reggae CD uh, vinyl uh, that I'm going to give as gifts. Yeah. And it does, you know, you know yourself. There's a big issue now about pay it, poets being remunerated yes. or paid for their for their art which is absolutely the right thing and in, in some ways that makes it me difficult for me to then go and approach people yeah. uh, to essentially ask a favour really uh, and the balance between helping them out as poets to promote their work maybe sell some books and at the same time promoting the blog and what I'm trying to do. Yeah we, I mean we had the same um, Lizzie and I when we were running Night Silence Found a Tongue, we were in a bit of a bind because we sort we deliberately found a venue that would allow us to use the place for free. So we yeah. didn't have to charge people to come in because we wanted as wide an audience right. as possible and to not price out people that couldn't afford to come. 
but then you've got the guilt of not being able to. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was awful. It was, um, because we really wanted to pay people, and we thought about asking for donations, but then that caused, can often cause some embarrassment. Because yeah, people, yeah. It, I don't know, if you ask for donations in a bucket, and people just simply can't afford to give you very much, it can't help but look like they didn't really enjoy themselves, <laughs> you know, and then yeah. you've, got to, you've got to crawl over to the public yeah. and say, well, I don't sorry, think anyone solved quid, it, really, know? to be no. honest, you know, and it shouldn't, yeah, in some ways, London's in a, as it always is, is, a, is an island where you could go to a poetry event every single night of the week, and that is partly a good thing, well, greatly a good thing, but at the same time, you can only spread the punters so, so far yeah. around, you know, um, when I did the um, poetry cafe evening for proletarian poetry, I had a great lineup: Hannah Lowe, Inu Ellums, uh, Malika Booker, Joe Bell, Owen Gallagher, Jules Holland. Oh, Jules Holland. Jules Sparks. She'll kill me. She's in my poetry group. She'll absolutely kill me for that. Cut that. Um, and it was the day of pride. It was boiling hot. And those who know the poetry cafe, uh, poetry light. Yeah, cafe, no, it's very warm yeah. downstairs. And there were like 15 people there, which was okay, which was fine, but, you know, I was expecting a full house. Yeah, yeah. And so it's, it is difficult. It is, it is, you know. I think one thing that would go a long way to easing that situation would be if um, institutions paid people for a fucking change. Right, Because yeah. I've got so many friends who have been, especially when they're young, under 25 it seems to be a big problem when you're still studying in some way or you're a new graduate just some there's, there's this tendency to say well I've got this great opportunity for you you can come and read at the Royal Academy of Arts or yeah. you can come and read at the Tate art galleries are particularly bad at this and they'll say our wide audience is your payment yeah and it's disgusting they're paying they're charging people often 16 pound to come into some of the big mm. exhibitions and they're funded and, as well and they're funded by the arts council and by the government it's all subsidized mm. and they don't pay young poet or whatever yeah. age it doesn't matter though. just yeah, specifically uh, talking about them now and i think if what it, it just sends a message out to everyone that this kind of work isn't worth it isn't worth any yeah. kind of payment i think one way um and i think there should be more of this is the in, intermixing of evenings and publications of the different arts. So you have got publications now like Bear Fiction, The Interpreter's House, who will publish short stories, creative non-fiction, Bear Fiction even um, publishes plays. Um, and if you were able to do that, and obviously a lot of um work and um, going to galleries, you should be able to mix the mix the arts up. Yeah. Um, you would think that these people are also reading poetry as well as going to see a play or it see. sort of links back to this thing we were talking about um, genres in mm. that you're you're putting all the readers in one group as if the readers are only interested in poetry yeah and as if the people reading and writing only concern themselves with poetry for the whole life yeah. as if the, you know as if we haven't got full well it's that nature, it's that mix of isn't it form and topic yeah and um, and they do seem to be all spread out uh, and mixed up this is a subject that winds me up particularly. Right. <laughs> no, but I, I think cause, because it's... it's um, yeah, I think there's... It shouldn't be difficult when you're planning large events. I mean, to take open mics out of the equation, you know, people putting yeah. events on in the backs of pubs and stuff for no money and volunteering their time is an amazing thing. And hopefully it will continue for a long time, you know. 
and that doesn't need to they, they don't need to think about paying you know people are willing to come along and read for the first time but yeah as you're sort of moving up and these places are well, they're just taking advantage of people yeah yeah i think the, the one thing i'd like to say in relation to that and about Palitopoint is it, it is all about access and so that you know the background i come from I, you know i don't know what it's about you but i know you only recently started reading poetry the same as me i would never have thought about doing poetry when i, I did i did an ma in creative writing and the poetry module was the last one i chose i did it as a dare one old fella like me says go on should we do it together i dare you I go, all right and my like a booker was sitting in the room and changed everything and and i've had friends back home who have read the likes of tony walsh and who writes about the clash and you know growing up in a working class community and, and one friend said that poem he wrote made me so angry but in a good way yeah. you know it really stirred them never would have thought of yeah. entering that you know the level of awareness i think of poetry that is um, about you know working class people young people uh, non-white people is somehow I don't understand why you can't break that barrier because if you think about it in terms of you can read a poem in 30 seconds and it can stay with you all night you can only re you read a novel it will take you a minimum two four eight hours and beyond yeah and just the just the practical side of poetry I, I can't fathom how it isn't more popular yeah. no absolutely I think the, the issue of access is uh, should be at the forefront of a lot of discussions because yeah. that's if you're not encouraging people to come and have a look yeah we'll just continue to ignore it why, why wouldn't there's so much so many other things happening you know people have got a lot on their plate you know they don't yeah. they're not going to just come on the off chance that no. you, you know yeah. yeah but you know subscribe to Project Hope yeah, Poetry get your email and on that note, one minute <laughs> what's your website which your web address it's uh, if you can spell proletarian yeah. it's proletarianpoetry.com and the link will be in the description for this so okay. there'll be a clickable link and yeah. you're on twitter at proletarian poet proletarian poet probably all we've got time for today but yeah. um it's been really nice to chat to you thanks very much i really enjoyed it um yeah so if anyone wants to if you, anyone out there wants to follow i'll be retweeting stuff our place i need to plug this more silent underscore tongue on twitter um apart from that 